We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hey, hello, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm a, honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and I have over 45 years' experience in uh, as an expert fire investigator. And I'm Donna Ingram. I am a past director of the IAAI also, and almost 30 years in fire and fraud. That's right. And so we, what we have here is we have today a, a special kind of a show. We're going to talk about fire investigators throughout the country. And a thing that, that uh, Fire Consulting and Case Review International has, uh, has initiated is called Consolidated Fire Investigation Services. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. But we also have an, uh, on the line, we have uh, Kirk Hankins, who is the co-chair of the CFI Committee for the International Association of Arson Investigators and has worked with me for uh, 25 years or more now. And, uh, and we also have Chip Barnhart, of Barnhart uh, Consulting, uh, or, uh, and he, he was going to talk about commercial kitchen fires and private investigations. We also have um, have Paul Carney, who is a senior investigator with uh, with my firm, with FCII, and Jarrett Love, who is uh, he's not as old as Paul, so he's I guess he's but he's been nice. here for many many years. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, and uh, and he's going to be talking to you too. And and. Um, so let's first of all just make the rounds. Uh, Paul, yeah, let's let's talk to you for a second. Um, how long have you been with uh, uh, our firm? Well, since 2005. Worked as a fire investigator for you since then. Um, prior to that, I was uh, with the Oberlin Park Fire Department for 26 years and Part of that time, about ten years, was spent in investigations. Yeah. Okay. And then, and so you have both the public and private side. That's correct. And you've been in in uh, all kinds of different type of uh, of fire investigations, um, multi million dollar losses, uh, and fly all over the country for us, don't you? That is correct. Okay. And Jared, how long have you been working with uh, with uh, Schmutkin Inc. here? I uh, <laughs> I started working for Mike in two thousand one. Uh, when it was consolidated forensic investigations, uh, and then I've been with him uh, since 2005, since the inception of FCII. Yeah, and it's, and that's terrific because both of these guys went through our our training program, which they'll talk about later. But let's talk to <clears throat> Kirk for a second. You've been unfortunate enough to work with uh, Fire, Fire Consulting International since its beginning, and prior to that, uh, with me at uh, at two other firms that I had. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, how many, many, many years has this been, my friend? I think, well, I didn't start when you did, uh, you know, when you came across the burning bush, but I think I was out in about 1997, 98. Yeah, that's about right. And I, by the way, I didn't work the burning bush. Uh, Kirk actually worked it. I was just down, I saw it burning, and I know who did it. Okay, so there. (laughs) And then Donna, Donna has been with us for how many years? Donna? Since 1988. Took a little bit of a, a sidestep, worked for Allstate Insurance for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I am back in claims. 
Yeah, how about that? Isn't that wonderful? Okay, so, and Chip, although you've had the misfortune of not ever working for us, uh, you work for your own self. You've been, uh, we've been uh, working together in the commercial kitchen fires for a while, haven't we? Yes, we have. We've been working together for a few years. Uh, I worked for a manufacturer um, before I decided to go out on my own, and uh, I kind of came into this a little bit differently. I came from the uh, manufacturer product side of this, and then uh, basically uh, brought my knowledge with me, uh, went out to work for myself in 2013, and uh, yes, we've worked uh, quite a few losses on uh, the specific stuff that I handle uh, in the in the meantime. All right. <clears throat> so... And so uh, you're part of our, our consolidated uh, fire investigation services, uh, are you not? Yeah, yes, I am. And and Mike basically, you know, provides the origin and cause. But occasionally, on different types of losses, you need specialty people. It could be an engineer. It could be a specialty mm-hmm. investigator. It could be a product specialist. It it, it could be all, all sorts of different uh, things. And uh, Mike basically knows where to go get these people and where they are uh, because uh, in some of these uh, subspecialties, the people are out there in onesies and twosies or maybe there's a dozen of them in the country. And uh, basically try you always try to get the right person for the uh, right specialty. Exactly, and uh, and as a matter of fact, that's what uh, fireanalysis.net uh, is all about, and, and and now we have FCIS. FCI, by the way, stands for Certified Fire Investigator, so S- S- FCIS is uh, kind of a, a play on words there. So, uh, Also, we have people like Tim Hatwick at Fire Technology on the East Coast in Virginia and West Virginia and places like that, and we have people like Tom Fee, uh, and in California, and uh, Dave David Sneed down in uh, in Texas, and and Rodney uh, well Rodney Pevito uh, uh, we use in in uh, Wisconsin, but we also use people like uh, um, you know all over the country uh, in all these different companies. Now let's talk about that for a second because what's happening is the insurance industry is changing, and what it's trying to do some of the major carriers is trying to go with one or two, maybe even three national firms and uh, use their investigators and engineers in different parts of the country. Well, uh, what happens then is that, uh, and they try to absorb these smaller uh, shops as, as, um, as, as Chip pointed out. Um, and so what happens is uh, the guys are either have to be absorbed by these major firms, which they don't like, or they, um, or they actually... Uh, go out of business. Well, I saw these very talented fire investigators needing a, a place to go. And so what we did was we, we, we um, formed this uh, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services to do uh, actual bids with these major carriers uh, because a lot of the major carriers, what they want is, is not only um, uh, full-time employees or, or part-time employees, I guess, but they also want lower flat rates, and uh, and they want different things like half travel time, and, and they have all these different things that they want to do, and they want one place to have a report and a report coming, a report and an invoice coming from. Well, that's what we've done. We've 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 formed this. Alliance, this 200 people throughout the United States that have been vetted, which means that they've, they, they pass all the tests, 
They're certified fire investigators through the International Association of Arson Investigators. Some of them are ex-ATF uh, agents that not only had IAAI CFI, but the ATF CFI. And other, other qualifications, like Jared has a, a CFEI. And uh, and other and and we have Missouri and and Kansas uh, certifications. There are all kinds of different certifications you can have. So um, we formed this thing and consolidated fire investigation services, CFISfire.com. If you want to sign up with us, um, it, and so that we can uh, we can send people that are vetted and and. Um, comply with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. I just want to clarify, they still have their own companies. They're, they're not, right. CFIS is not a company that is employing these fire investigators. It's, it's a, they still own their own company. It's just a clearinghouse. It's a, it's a hub. It's a place to uh, make a bid and, and one number to call, and then we can assign out throughout the country. Yeah, right. And so and so and we've been we have a couple other national carriers that use us for that very thing. So if um, if we have a, a commercial kitchen loss, uh, we can, we know that that chip is is out there and we can send one of our people or get another person to work a fire with him in another um, area. If we have a, a place where Tim Hap, Hatwick uh, in fire technology, they have a fire there, and we have one of our, uh, we can we can assign him to that, and and he'll work it. So that's what we've been doing, and and I want you to know that that it's been working out real well. Now, the International Association of Arson Investigators has this CFI program, and it is the hardest one to get. It's the certification that's the hardest one to get, and I'm going to ask. Uh, Kirk for a second to talk about the CFI program and uh, and why it's important for you to have that. Go ahead, Kirk. Well, several years ago, uh, the members of the association decided that there needed to be a international certification that addressed all of the job performance requirements in the NFPA standard for fire and explosion investigations, and that's NFPA 1033. Uh, up until that time, most of the states had their own certification program, but they all varied depending upon jurisdiction. Uh, the international, uh, through the assistance of one of our local chapters, state chapters, developed the CFI certification program. Uh, and testing mechanism, and over the years, it's developed into uh, probably one of the best internationally recognized certification programs. Uh, not only is it tested and certified to all of the JPRs of the standard, it's also accredited by third-party entities, uh, the Pro Board, the National or the uh, Forensic uh, Accreditation Specialty Board. And we have reciprocity agreements now with the Institution of Fire Engineer. So whenever an outside independent agency that specializes in education and testing training for certification purposes, when we have two separate entities now that have recognized 
the high standards and qualifications required for this certification. That speaks very highly for those folks that hold that certification. Right, and they have to have 150 points just to even challenge the test. Is that correct, Kirk? Well, the application process involves uh, getting a minimum number of points in a variety of categories. Uh, The way the application is formatted is that once you go through the uh, application process and have all of the documents that support what you're claiming, you have essentially created a curriculum vitae. And because we have a recertification requirement of every five years, uh, once you get that original application put together, now you know what documents you need to collect, and people are doing a real good job of maintaining their documents to support their professional education and training and continued work experience. So not only do we look at the authoritative treatises out there, the guidelines and standards that are used within the profession, uh, to form the basis of the certification, uh, the testing mechanism, and the legal requirements for testifying all tie back into that application process. Yeah, you're right, and, and you and you and you even require. And I forgot to tell everybody that uh, uh, Kirk is also the uh, chair of the steering committee for CFITrainer.net, and I also require CFITrainer.net courses. But I want to talk to Paul for a second because he uh, he's CFI. Uh, IWAI CFI, but he had to go through a, a, like a training program years ago with uh, with our company. Uh, you worked for the, uh, uh, the my former company too, didn't you? Yes, Consolidated Forensic Investigation. I started with you in 2003, I think. Yeah, and so we we did a, we did a training program with you, right? And and so uh, this is what I'm addressing is I'm addressing the article in the latest Fire and Arson Investigator magazine, uh, and it says, "Are we facing the demise of the origin and cause investigator?" And it talks about how um, the a lot of the older fire investigators are retiring and and also. Uh, uh, you know, also dying off, frankly, and uh, and is there going to be a knowledge gap? But uh, I think Paul is a great example, and Jared uh, definitely because he's so much younger, a great example of uh, and, yeah, that uh, of uh, how uh, we do training, and so to replace us. So just talk about a little bit what you had to do in the, like the three years. Well, the three years the beginning, I went up uh, as a labor. Uh, at the time, I was employed by the fire department full time, so I was I was working part time for you, mm-hmm. and uh, went out with a more experienced investigator and worked uh, fires, you know, every week, and uh, watched and learned and asked questions and learned about fire patterns and why we were doing what we were doing and. Yeah. And and so it, even now when they have EKU and Southern uh, was it Southern Ohio uh, isn't it uh, uh, Columbia what is it? I can't remember sorry uh, just having a brain drain there for a second um, it, about uh, the training programs for fire investigators that basic knowledge is very good but you actually have to have empirical um, you know experience right that's that's absolutely correct you can read a book all day long you can go to class all day long and you can see pictures of things but there's nothing like going out there and getting dirty doing it um, and seeing for yourself exactly you know what 
buyer behavior is and, and how it how it looks after it's all done. Yeah. yeah, and and Donna, you were you were working as a you were one of those unique women <laughs> investigators that uh, we don't have too many. We don't have enough women in in investigations. What was your experience like? Oh, absolutely, hands on. Uh, have to. That's my knowledge base. I'm not in the field now. Uh, my specialty is more in fraud and uh, chasing paper trails and and fraudulent claims. Um, that's my forte. But there's no question those years that I spent working fires um, gave me the knowledge and I know what questions to ask. Yeah, and that's very important, the very. interview process. And then, Jarrett, let's talk to you. I, I, I acted like you were like 12, but you're not. How old are you now? I think I was 12 when I started. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> you're, you're over 21. Yes. Is, uh, yes. In the, like in your 30s and have your own family and stuff. Correct. Yes. Okay, so talk to the people about your process with us. You, you had a process with us all to do. Yeah, uh, mine lasted a little longer than three years, I think. I think mine was more like seven years. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, it wasn't because you were slow. No, it's, it was, I wasn't going to say that. You know, it, was because, it was because what we did, was, I mean, you have to work a certain number of fires. And you also have to have your IAAI, CFI, before we put you on the street. Is that correct? Yes, and that's what took, that's what took the most time was to uh, accumulate enough points to be able to challenge the test. So. Yeah. And because you worked for full-time for a fire department, too. Yes, I still do. And still do. In fact, you're... Uh, you're um, what are you now? You're you're in uh, what? You're a rank, aren't you? I'm a driver. You're a driver. Yeah, kind yes. of mid level. No, I didn't mean he was rank. Rank <laughs> is different from what he was. Anyway, but uh, talk to me about your experience. You got to go to literally hundreds of fires. Is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, most of my fires that I worked were with you and Kirk and then Larry Stimmerman. Uh, mm-hmm. Those were the three that I was with most of the time. Um, you know, I I was able to, coming from a, a small fire department, I didn't see enough fires. Uh, but, you know, we didn't have enough, we didn't have fires every day like uh, like we go on here. So, uh, you know, it was great just to be able to, to be able to go to a fire and, and be taught by guys that have been doing this for years and, and seeing how they do it. And uh, I've caught myself now it, it seems like i'm that guy that's got the younger guys that's what you know falls the same i've worked with paul quite a bit too before i went on my own but uh yeah it seems like now it's uh now it's me and me and paul are the old guys again. <laughs> that's right and we have other we have other people that work for us and and that are investigators but you have the misfortune of working with both me kirk and now larry was terrific. Larry Stimmerman, he's now retired. See, he's one of those guys that uh, that the article's talking about, that uh, we, we lost a, a whole library with Larry. Um, and uh, But he he's terrific, and everybody knew him. Go ahead. Well, and one thing I want to say about Larry, he was, he was my main trainer. Uh, he and Kirk were the ones that trained me. And one thing about Larry, in a lot of, and I don't think the article, I haven't read the entire thing, but I just wanted to point something out because when I think of Larry, the one thing that he taught me was to have your confidence up. If there's any of the lessons, because uh, we can read burn patterns, we can we can go through the process, we can go through the scientific method. But to tie it all in together, you need confidence in what you're seeing and what you're saying. And that was the one thing that he brought to the table for me 
professionally, which was commit to your knowledge, commit to your education, commit to what you know, and be confident about it. So. Yeah, well, before before apparently Kirk dies of some kind of <laughs> influenza in the background, uh, Kirk, what what have you got? Uh, you trained a lot of these guys, so uh, what what uh, what do you find, uh, Kirk? Uh, that uh, yeah, I mean, I know I always found it great that we had we had questions when we we're on the scene. Um, because that challenges us to be able to explain these things. What what do you think you um, what can you impart to these young investigators uh, about uh, about the empirical training? Well, I think one of the the best advantages that the the new generation has is that they were never taught the old myths, and mm-hmm. they've grown up with uh, 1033 and NFPA 921. Um, what I see occurring uh, with the older generation are the, the guys that know it. They just don't know it by the new terminology, and, and that scares them. And the younger generation that's, that's just entering the field or working their way towards certification now, uh, they look at 921, and they take it as black and white, whereas everybody knows that it'll say A in one section, and you go to the next chapter in a different section, and it says something different. So you really have to know that document. And like Donna said, you have to be confident in what you're doing. Uh, you know it. You have to be confident in your ability to, to read these scenes. And you have to work harder. Uh because of 921, you know, there might be something that uh, disagrees with what your hypothesis is, but in another section of the book, you can see where, well, this is what I need to do to shore up this. So you need to be confident in bad evidence, and you can uh, create your your own demonstrative evidence by doing that additional research and by doing the test burns. And, of course, that means you're going to have to work harder to do it. And a lot of people don't want to do that, uh, but the confident investigators will. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we're seeing the insurance industry starting to to look at things like flat rates because they're getting tired of having undetermined fires one right after the other when, you know, it's a combination of several things, uh, not wanting to pay for the additional work and, and investigative experience post scene or the investigator is just not that familiar with 921 and, and is confident in calling the scene what he thinks it is. So it's a multitude of things that enter into it and it all gets back to certification and the certification begins with training. So you, you got to remember that certification doesn't have anything to do with training. It's not a training program, but it serves as a curriculum for the type of training you need to go out and obtain. And that's where uh, the mentoring that uh, we have been doing at CFI and FCII, our current company, and the training scenarios and programs that are being developed through CFITrainer.net and by the IAAI and all of their residential courses. Well, and also in addition to that, Paul, we need this is a science and an art. And when I say art, I don't mean painting a picture uh, like on a wall, but but the art of interpretation. 
Right. That's that's exactly right. And there's nothing like getting out there and doing it. As Jared, Jared alluded to a minute ago, you didn't see enough fires on shift at a fire department. If you're on one battalion, you only see a third of the actual all the fires that that department has. And so you need to go and, and get the experience on the private side where you see 100 fires a year and, and get used to looking at these patterns and things that you've seen before then become relevant and and uh, almost second nature to you after that. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and uh, I, I had the benefit of uh, also working with other people. Uh, anybody, uh, Einstein said, and it's, and it's true, anybody that's, that stops reading starts dying. So you really, uh, and, and also imagination is more, uh, is more important uh, than, than uh, knowledge. You have to be able to see these things. And, um, and, and Jarrett uh, alluded to it, and we're the, old, uh, we're the old guys now, including him. But, uh, you know, Chip, we only got a couple minutes b- before the break, but what, did, what do you find? Uh, you're a subject matter expert. Uh, you have to also look at, uh, at the standards, too, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, basically, you know, and, and it's something that people need to realize, and it's something part of your vetting process is, Specialty experts, engineers, and stuff are still required to have this. Uh, basically, the uh, there's there's a requirement of training under NFPA 1033 un- under certain things. Even though they may be there for a different role, they have to still maintain, uh, you know, basically a, a training curriculum of this of these uh, certain subjects. Actually, there's 16 of them, and. Uh, you know, that's, that's a very important thing. And then certainly if you go into a subject matter specialty, you need to stay current with it. Uh, you, you can't do something, well, I, I see one of these once every two years and uh, expect to stay afloat, basically. <laughs> you know, you, you got to stick with it. Yeah, well, you, you, uh, you and I agree about something, and that is um, that uh, engineers being used as origin and cause investigators is, uh, is in most cases, uh, not appropriate only because the engineers have a specialty and they really are not trained as origin and cause people. I know that you uh, don't put yourself out there as an origin and cause person. You put yourself out there as a subject matter expert. Is that correct? And we've only got absolutely, one yeah. That's yeah. that's how I market too. While I do maintain currency and the training on origin and cause, I, that's not what my my role is. If I get hired there, my my role is to evaluate the uh, the certain things that I evaluate and and get into into that stuff a little bit deeper. And I work hand in hand with you guys. You got to work as a team. And it works much, much better, you know, and we've, we've all, you know, seen this and talked about this, is you have the origin and cause being done, and then you have the specialty knowledge be brought in, and it's just a lot better product at right. the end of the day. And it does get rid of some of this undetermined stuff, and it gets rid of some of this, uh, you know, things that we, we, we hear, in, you know, in all the conferences we go to, we hear that the uh, feedback from the uh, customers. Right, and, and, uh, when we, and when we come back from the break... We're going to talk to you again one more time about the feedback from the clients, but also about getting hired by attorneys and how attorneys hire, hire both you and I uh, to look at these uh, the, and our, our firms to look at these matters. So, okay, so you're, stay with us and come back to Speaking of Fire. We'll be back in a second.
making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at FCIFire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show... Please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Chip, before the break, we were talking about how you have a specialty, and I wanted to ask, who hires you? Well, Anna, it can be uh, it can be law firms, it can be insurance companies, it can be other origin and cause investigators in the uh, in between. It just depends what kind of uh, team they're putting together for that that kind of loss. Uh, most often, in my case, it's it's other origin and cause investigators need they they know they need to bring in somebody that specializes in uh, something and. Uh, they, they give you a call and they introduce you to the client, but they, they take the lead on running the case and you're there to provide the uh, support they need for a positive outcome. And you uh, they actually tra- uh, train fire investigators in your specialty in a way by giving them your, your uh, specific knowledge, correct? Yeah, actually, I got to speak at the uh, IAAI International Training uh, Conference uh, to a bunch of the uh, young investigators we were talking about that are interning and, and in college. And uh, uh, really great. They have a great academic background, and they're all eager, well, uh, ready to go, go out and, and do uh, field work and stuff. And I got to uh, introduce them to tell them that uh, basically, you know, there are subspecialties of this stuff, too. And, uh, you know, you can learn about, about this stuff, You but you certainly need to start out with a base of knowledge on the origin and cause because you need to be able to communicate with your team, but there are uh, other avenues for them. So we got to speak to them a little bit, and uh, I think they uh, they liked that. But uh, I was uh, very impressed by the group. Um, actually, quite a few females in it. There was probably one-third of them were females, and uh, they were, uh, you know, great Good. questions and a great background. 
Yeah, it's great. And thank you for doing that. Um, and Jared, I want to talk to you for a second. You have recently had a, a nice federal case. Yes, that's and, correct. And uh, so can you talk a little bit about, so, so that uh, people be aware, um, there are different requirements. You have to write a Rule 26 letter. You have to give uh, depositions, of course. And uh, tell us about, and, and why is that? That's, that's for the reason I was talking to uh to, to chip about um, a lot of these engineers that are putting themselves out as origin and cause uh, people uh, can get a Daubert challenge. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think Missouri just recently became a Daubert state officially. Uh, not too long ago, was it not? Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, the uh, with the with the Daubert standard, uh, fire investigator or anybody in the in the scientific community any scientific community that's going to be testifying as a fact or an expert witness has to follow a certain um, standard, which is what we call the the scientific method. Um, scientific method is, is something that we use every day. We just don't know it. But uh, there there has to be several steps that you have to take to, uh, to reach your conclusion. Um, so, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, if you can't convince yourself that this is what caused the fire, uh, you're not going to be able to convince a jury or a judge either. No, in fact, that, that's how I say is the, the hardest person to uh, convince at the scene of a fire about what happened is the investigator. That's the way it has to be. And the Daubert challenge uh, is, uh, is really uh, from a pharmaceutical case, uh, Daubert, and, uh, and it said that uh, junk science cannot be used, speculation. There's been many court uh, decisions about uh, fire cases uh, where uh, where the judge is now the gatekeeper and he can let people come in to uh, testify as an expert or not and he will use this uh, this criteria and training, experience, background, and that's where we usually get the engineers is uh, they don't have as much training in, in origin and cost so they get dauberted out. Uh, and now I've been lucky enough and most and everybody here in, in our firm has never been challenged successfully. Um, it's coming though. It'll come. It'll come that that uh, mm-hmm. that you'll get challenged successfully and you'll get thrown out. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're you're coming about the challenge. Yeah well, yeah. well, well, Larry Stiverman was challenged and he testified, of course. And so, and uh, and there's been objections to me, but uh, they're mostly about my breath, I think. Okay. Well, and and there's the other thing, and and you're talking about the confidence and convincing yourself, but it's also articulation, whether it be written with a report um, or when you're testifying. It, it's a opportunity to educate of sorts. You're not teaching, but you need to teach right. while you're testifying. And, and those are the things you need to be articulate. You need to be clear, not use acronyms in reports, not all those different things. And that just is what brings it up to less of a challenge. Correct. Yeah, and, I, and it's too bad that I that some of the, one of the challenges that we have is on, sometimes from uh, uninformed uh, people where they don't understand that they have to have vetted, uh, you know, people that have, have are, are solidly there. And also that um, the reports have to be a certain way. I had uh, one carrier say to me one time, are we raising the standard too high on uh, on, imp- on reports? No. 
there's not because there's no such thing as a uh, as a um, perfect report. There never will be. I think Kirk, you would uh, agree with me in that, would you not? Yes, I would. Okay. Uh, and you, you, go ahead. You know, if you write a good report and if you document how you followed the methodology and you document in your report how you conducted the scientific method of inquiry or the systematic approach, then chances are you're not going to get Daubert. And if you do, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're standing a very good or you've increased your chances of uh, successfully uh, overcoming yeah. that challenge. Right. Yeah, that's um, a lot of people don't realize either, or they think because you followed the scientific method that your conclusion is right. You know, that, that's, that's not what the scientific method is for. The scientific method is a procedure for you to follow to, to reach your conclusion by forming hypotheses and testing hypotheses and then and informing a conclusion. Uh, just because you followed the scientific method, Paul and I could look at the same fire and come up with a different opinion. Uh, <laughs> there was a well-known uh, investigator uh, told me once that the fire investigation or any scientific field is objective, it's not subjective. If it was subjective, there would be no 921. There would be no, no mm-hmm. investigators because everything would be black and white. God, I wish I would have said that. Who was that? It was brilliant. Was it me? Was it, yeah, was it you? <laughs> you have anything for us? Um, yeah, I would just say that, that, that uh, and again, speaking to Donna's comment about confidence, the confidence comes from using the scientific method and challenging your hypotheses, coming up with them and then challenging them and, and trying to disprove them and, and uh, trial by fire in your mind. And, and, and that's where your confidence comes from. And, and and the more confident you are, the better investigator you become. And to Jared's point in with you is coming up with and using the scientific method, your experience and your education is what forms those hypotheses. So that's why you have a variance based on experience, education, and in different things. I mean, things that happen in California are different than things that happen in New York. And so the experiences are different. And, and yeah. so it's not a, it's not a bad thing for that difference but no yeah the type of fires are definitely different and uh and but the physics doesn't change of course and that's what a lot of people since 921 (laughs) was put in it's like everything has changed since 1992 since 921 physics didn't change god didn't change physics and uh we're still using the same principles now as to kirk's point which i really agree with is is the newer investigators are not being taught the myths that uh that we had to grow up with uh when we were younger and and chip you you also even as a subject matter you're an expert in subject matter, you have to follow the scientific method, and you have to also um, stand uh, Dauber challenges, would you not? Oh, absolutely, and, uh, you know, it goes back to your qualification. First off, um, you know, why were you there? Uh, can you explain why you were there? What subject matter you were there for? Do you have training in it? And, and basically, are you going to be a uh, friend to help in the jury find out anything? Are you going to be able to tell them something that they don't know? Can you teach them about your your subspecialty? Can you present it without, like we talked about a few minutes ago, the Adana, the acronyms, the, the slang terminology, the stuff that just often confuses people? Can you break this down? Are you a true master of what you're there for? 
And uh, certainly, you know, going into my thing, going down into the weeds, a lot of times that involves a lot of testing that I need to do and uh, to uh, try to disprove these hypotheses. And, uh, you know, basically it's, it's, it's a lot to it, and you've got to be able to explain it. You've got to be able to break it down. You've got to be able to test at this thing and make sure that you're, you're, you're headed down the right direction, not just, you know, it's not just simple as being a subject matter expert saying, well, I've done this so long, and uh, I've, it's this way. You know, you have to be able to back that up. Yeah, it's it's that way because I said it's that way. No, that's not how it works. Um, Yes, you have to teach the jury, and I agree with that. In fact, the attorneys will tell you, uh, you know, it's it's all about talking to the jury. You wouldn't talk to them and say that the stoichiometric ratio of the of the gas to the air was uh, formed at 10% and caused this explosion. You would say the, the gas mixed in the air. Uh, was just to the right, just to the right amount, and then the ignition. Well, the ignition. You usually say something set it off, and then so. And there are and the testing. To your point, both to Donna's and uh, and your point about teaching the jury, uh, doing this testing. There are also ASTM standards when it comes to testing and evaluation and, and examination. And there's rule E860 that says you're going to have a protocol on how these things are examined, et cetera. But the investigator has to know that. And that's why constant research is going on. Well, and you were speaking about myths, too. Uh, yes, the myth, those came about based on true events and science. It's just that Fire investigators attached themselves to something that was said for crazing of glass, for example. Glass does craze. It is an indicator of something, of heat. But it didn't, back in the old days, it was, well, that means there was a flammable liquid present, and that's what did this. That's where it became the myth. That's the thing that we do now with the scientific method is we recognize, yes, this glass is crazed. Now, we're going to test in our minds, scientific, what would have caused this, what was next to this. Well, it's like spalling of concrete, too. That was another example of one of the old things that was always taught that, you know, this was a, a flammable pour, uh, you know, and we've it's become now a piece of the puzzle rather than being the puzzle itself. Right. Basically. So. Uh, Donna had mentioned testing, especially uh, that's a word that's in the scientific method. Uh, a lot of newer guys will read that and think, oh, I've got to rebuild a house and, and test it, test this fire <laughs> right. to see if my hypothesis is right. That's not what it means. That, that means is, is testing your the data that you collected, it, looking at something. If the fire started here, would it cause this damage pattern? If the fire started here, would it have been able to spread? You know, that's that's part of testing. It's It's not collecting everything from the fire scene and taking it back and going to the store and buying uh, uh, an exemplar of everything and, and and trying to recreate what you think happened. Although, no. wouldn't that be great to have the funding yeah, for that? Be, <laughs> yeah. Well, we do uh, encourage everybody to that's fire investigators to set fires in non-insured buildings, by the way. Okay. <laughs> now, on, on things like... Like like a piece of carpet, you get a carpet ribbon it and and pour a, a gasoline across it and light it and look at at the at the pattern that's left. Um, I have all our fire investigators uh, actually set fires in different ways. Um, and Kirk, God knows that you've been doing you've done a lot of testing over time, and that testing can be as simple as taking a piece of the of the of foam from the 
from the uh, couch and going outside and lighting it and see if it'll drip. Is that right, Kirk? Well, yeah. I mean, it gets back to the to being confident in what you're saying, and it also gets back to your credibility. I mean, you say, well, you know, I think that the, they left a candle burning on the on the coffee table that uh, was surrounded with a Christmas wreath. Well, did you even just take a piece of the wreath and put an open flame to it and see if it was capable of igniting? That's a test. Uh, I, I, I told everybody that, that I trained that worked with me, uh, you know, you can create your own test, and, and a good fire investigator will be starting fires. I mean, you know, how are you going to know what a particular appliance like a toaster looks like after it's gone through the fire when it's been exposed to heat as opposed to when it's the, the source of the fire? And that gets back to looking at the number of fires, uh, a, a large number of them, and then looking at a melted piece of plastic and say, oh, I know what that is. That's a, that's a toaster. Well, how do you know that? Because I've burned a toaster, and that's what they look like. So, yeah, yeah the, the testing can be something simple. And don't forget that when you're working with an engineer, if, a lot of times if we get a subject matter expert like Chip involved, and he is testing my fire origin, and I'm testing his component analysis. So we're testing each other, feeding off of each other, and while we're doing that, we're also uh, eliminating potential hypothesis. So, and just because you have an engineer with you, you know, engineers make mistakes. That's what the younger generation needs to realize, too, is that, uh, you know, yes, the engineer is there for a specific reason, but, you know, if the patterns don't fit with what he's saying, well, then something's wrong. You're either reading the patterns wrong or the engineer is wrong. So that testing is an ongoing situation, whether or not you know you're doing it or not. Right. And uh, Chip, he, he's just brought you, you up again. And I think, and that's great because you and I have been to a bunch of lab exams. And tell, tell us what you see in these lab exams uh, with uh, other subject matter experts and things. Uh, what do you see? Well, a lot of times what we've seen is there's just been a, a basic uh, breakdown when we get to the lab exam. They have some sort of hypothesis, and they're going to try to prove it in the lab that, well, that failure happened that way. Well, that, that's not exactly how that should be done. That should be trying to disprove that hypothesis. And what, they, what, what has happened in cases on you get into certain complex equipment, you can start setting up the the uh, testing so that you, you get what you're looking for, basically. And uh, it, it's something that you, you need to be on the lookout for. And, uh, and, and and people don't do it, I think, intentionally, like they're trying to game something a lot of times. is A lot of times it really just comes down to that they, they have a pretty limited understanding of it and they don't have another avenue to go down and they don't understand. Well, you could test it this way and that's really all they've come up with. And uh, that that's a, that's a, a real problem. It's, it's this... Um, holding yourself out on this wide uh, swath of uh, subject matter. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you can get yourself into trouble with that. But basically the thing people need to know is you come up with an idea, this hypothesis, you try to disprove it in the laboratory. You try to find something alternate. You, you don't try to make it, make it uh, more relevant. You, you try to, that's the proper way to do that. And, that, and that's something we've seen, hasn't it, been Mike? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I also a lot of times see where they, they they think they know what caused the fire, and that's the only piece of evidence they collect, and they yeah. don't collect the entire system. 
Yeah, we, we, we've got to say, well, well, you know, just like that. <laughs> this could have happened over here, but we'll never know now because you didn't collect it. So, well, that yeah. or they rush through the they rush through all the bags of evidence that they're not interested in, and then they get to the piece that they really think caused the fire. And now we'll really take some time and look at it. Yeah, and, and, and guys, we've all been there. These things can change in the last three minutes that you're there. <laughs> you know, collecting evidence too. And that's that. That's something that you know you got to kind of plan for. You know. And that's a good example. I'm going to grab an opportunity here as uh, chairman of the IAAI, the International Association of Arson Investigators Membership Committee, uh, to encourage people to join the international, join the local chapters, because then you're going to go to these annual trainings and you're going to talk to other fire investigators from different places uh, regionally and even internationally. And you're going to hear stories and you're and you're going to glean experience from that because they may tell a story they may you know about a fire and it's something that you've not ever thought about heard about and so the networking piece <coughs> of this is important and, and networking being not selling anything networking being sharing information with each other right. because we accumulate that information when we learn about it. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, we did an eight and a half hour show at the International Training Conference on TV. So voiceamerica.tv and and uh, and search IAAI, which means International Association of Arson Investigators. Are you, um, and, and we did eight and a half hours and we interviewed people from all over the world, mm-hmm. as well as, as local experts here in the United States. And so if you want to learn something about how they do things in other countries, plus through Fire Consulting and Case Review International, we have, uh, we have uh, contacts in other parts of the world. So we, we can send, and we've, we've already done that, we've sent, uh, uh, we get a call for uh, an investigation in Germany. We've, we've uh, assigned people out. We can do that. So, uh, but uh, I wanted to get to, you said stories. So I'm going to mm-hmm. say the stories. Now, you only got six, six minutes, so we're going to have quick stories for Mr. Mr. Jarrett first. Go ahead. Okay. Quickly. So do, you, do you want interesting oh. or do you want No, successful? I want boring. Boring. <laughs> yeah, so go ahead. In, successful and interesting. Okay. But. Well, uh, the most interesting one I ever had was a few years ago, a small town in Missouri. Uh, original fire started in a dryer. Um, we came back on a joint exam and found that there had been another fire in the house between that time and uh, the, our first exam and the joint exam. So, of course, that one stopped and there were other people that were notified of, of what happened. But long story short, uh, there were five fires in the house um, before this individual um, assaulted herself to make it look like somebody else had been starting the fires in their house. Um, <laughs> the end result was they found out uh, after, an, after uh, an admission was that her husband was overseas and this was the only way that she could get him home. So wow. it was kind of sad, but... That yeah, but sad. still she even assaulted herself, so she was having some real emotional problems. Absolutely. There. Uh, how about you, Paul? Uh, the story I thought of was uh, uh, when I worked with um, a uh, another jurisdiction. I was actually ended up being subpoenaed to uh, uh, testify in an arson case, 
And uh, the reason I was subpoenaed was because the fire investigation for that municipality uh, had not taken any photos. And so uh, when it came time to prosecute the uh, person responsible for the the uh, fire, setting the fire in an apartment complex, they relied heavily on my information and my photographs and my testimony. I'm not even sure they had their investigator come to the trial, but... It was due to uh, the scientific method, to the methodology I was trained in, and all of the things that went together to make me a fire investigator that helped that case successfully conclude with uh, the man going to the Graybar Hotel for many years. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, and uh, Kirk, I know that you were one time uh, uh, adjudicated as a mustard expert. Um, but uh, um, we only got three minutes, yeah, so, we'll have to save so that I story. have to save that one for <laughs> the next time you're on. And Chip, I apologize for not getting to your story. I know you probably have a great one, but I, I do want to bring up something that you and I have found. And that is a lot of people in commercial kitchen fires really don't know what they're looking at. And we've been to many in New York City. You've got about one minute to tell us how can we get better? How can they get better? Well, get solid origin and cause on the uh, on the uh, the fire investigation uh, end of it. That that really begins leading you down the wrong path when you conduct the failure analysis of the suppression system. Uh, we've had origin and cause uh, basically issues where people had put the fire under an appliance that doesn't produce grease-laden vapors that only boils water, and uh, you know. Basically, guys, you got to get the origin and cause stuff right, and then you can go down and start working uh, working on the uh, suppression system. But if you if you get that wrong in the beginning, the whole thing's going to be garbage all all the way down. So it's really it's a team effort, and both got to work together. You know, the engineer and the origin and cause expert, or the specialty expert and the origin and cause expert, uh, the subject matter expert, the origin and cause. Everyone's got to work together, know both their things. And, uh, you know, Mike, Mike, I think you know the one I'm talking about when I say that. And, <laughs> you know, it, it can lead you down the wrong path. you got to work yeah, together on this. Yeah, and you're, thank you, Chip, for being here. Um, and uh, thank you, Kirk and, and Paul and, and Jarrett. Donna, of course, as always. Um, remember, you can sign up to, to Consolidated Fire Investigation Services by going to cfifire.com. Uh, or you can call us and uh, at Fire Consulting International. Um, I'm always getting in touch with us, and we can get you through it. Uh, we want to thank you. We're going to have some upcoming shows: uh, fire, uh, fire injuries. Uh, we got fire education coming up. We've got some attorneys on explosions. Um, and we'll see you next week. And we'll of course see you. I hope we see you next week. <laughs> Come back to uh, speaking, speaking of, of fire. fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.